The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, May 16, 2021, on the basis of Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. You can call it all kinds of different things. For example, if you want, you can call it ennui. But if you ask me, that might make you sound a little bit snooty. Or you might try and call it malaise. But if you call it that, some people might be thinking of some sort of fancy sauce that you put on the food that you eat. You might refer to it by its more common terms of apathy, indifference, boredom. If you want, you can just not use a word at all, but instead settle for sound effects. Meh. Yawn. And if all else fails, you can do what you can do with a lot of things these days, which is not even use any sort of verbal utterance at all, but instead rely on only a symbol. You could go with the shrug emoji. You can call it all kinds of different things, but you need to know what it is. Because at least as far as I can tell, it is the greatest spiritual threat that at least in our day and age would cause someone to walk away from their faith. In other words, if the statistics were to hold true, for the four young, people, four young people who are getting confirmed this morning. In other words, if three out of four of them, that's the number, three out of four were to walk away from their faith, that would probably be the reason. It wouldn't be because they would one day wake up and suddenly decide that they wanted to deny all of the things that they once confessed. It wouldn't be because one day they would wake up and suddenly decide that they just hate the God that they once loved. Instead, in all likelihood, it would be because they got bored. They lost interest in faith, in God, and in church, and so they ended up doing what you do with anything that you get bored with and lose interest in. You just set it down and you walk away. So how do we keep that from happening? To them? To us? to that young person, that child who is sitting next to you this morning, to that child that hasn't even been born yet, perhaps? How do we keep that from happening? If keeping people in the faith requires keeping them interested, how do we do that? Well, we might be tempted to do that the way that everyone else in their lives is going to try and keep them interested with a nonstop barrage of sensory overload, 24-7, palm of your hand, attention-grabbing, entertainment. That's what they're facing. That's the world in which they live, of course. In fact, if we didn't know any better, we might be tempted to think that the very last thing that could possibly keep their interest and their focus and their commitment in their faith is the thing that we are gathered here to talk about today. That 40 days after he rose from the dead, Jesus ascended up into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God and for the past 2,000 years, he hasn't moved a muscle. He hasn't budged an inch. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Well, today we're going to see that that's exactly what it is. That Jesus' ascension is one more reason why Jesus is able to deliver to us a life that is outside the box. And specifically today, we're going to see that Jesus' ascension means that we have been given a life that is free from boredom. As we look at these verses from Ephesians 4 this morning, we're going to see that if Jesus doesn't budge, you have no reason to be bored. 
Jesus' ascension signified all kinds of different things. Here's the one that the Apostle Paul chose to focus on in these verses. He said, He who descended, talking about Jesus, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, he took his rightful place at the very center of all of human history. Everything that happens in our universe is really all about him. It is his story. Which means that if you open up a newspaper to see what the front page headlines are, or you turn on the TV to see what breaking news they're talking about, or you go online to see what's trending for the day, I know what it's going to say. It's just that it should say something very different. Everything that happens in our world is and will always be only about Jesus. Which means that life as a follower of Jesus is the greatest possible adventure a person could possibly take. The exact opposite of boring. In fact, to do the opposite, to live the way that the rest of the world lives, to live as if Jesus had not ascended into heaven, that would be boring. To spend your entire life running yourself ragged, to get an education, and then get a job, and then get the next job, and then get a promotion, and higher and higher, up you go. Why? All in the name of accumulating material possessions? Boring. But to realize that God has given you a brain, God has given you gifts and the ability to do work because Christ himself wants to care for all of the creatures that he has made, including through you. That's an adventure. To spend your life trying to identify your true and authentic inner self, to grasp at whatever thing you might desire in the moment, no matter how fleeting it is, and then exist to gratify that desire. Yawn. But to realize that Christ has a greater claim on the truth about you than even you have on yourself, and to live in pursuit of that design, his design for you, to deny yourself, Willingly, anything that is contrary to that design with all of the discipline and determination that that takes, that's an adventure. To live as though the affairs of this world, from our social circles to our corporate ladders to economics and politics, are the be-all and end-all of life. To get caught up in the endless cycle of rage that so saturates the world that we live in. Meh but to exist blissfully above that fray, unaffected, unfrazzled by whatever might happen in this world because we know that empires and bosses and billionaires rise and fall as quickly as the sun, but the kingdom of Christ has no end. That's an adventure. And friends, I know that it doesn't seem like that. A lot of the things that I'm telling you are boring often look fun and exciting. And the things that I'm telling you are fun and exciting and an an adventure often seem boring. And that would be the case. We could trust our eyes and our instincts if not for something else that Jesus says, that Paul says about Jesus' ascension. He says, When Jesus ascended on high, he led captives in his train. So when Christ went up into heaven, he did not go alone He took captives with him. In fact, he took captivity itself with him. 
He took as prisoners of war anything that could limit us, anything that could hinder us or slow us down or stop us. He took as a prisoner of war to heaven with him. For example, sin. See, there's a fatal flaw with the idea that we should try and identify all of the desires that we might feel at any given moment and then gratify them. And that fatal flaw is this, that you live in a world where in one moment you could find all kinds of people who would applaud what you're doing and cheer you on and say you are being true to yourself and you are perfect just the way that you are. And then five seconds later, that very same world will condemn you and silence you and cancel you for doing that very same thing. Even if you were doing that thing back when everyone thought it was okay. The world has its own definitions of sin and they are more than happy to condemn people on the basis of those definitions. But Christ has taken sin captive. Christ has put shame to shame. Christ has condemned every single thing that could ever possibly condemn you. He has paid for your sins in full. Or for example, take Satan. By definition, Satan's very name means adversary. He is our opponent. He is the one who stands against us with all of the tools that he has in his toolbox. Sometimes he uses temptation. Sometimes he uses tragedy. He will do anything and everything in his power to separate us from our Savior. Meanwhile, for people who are willing to walk that path of separation on their own, Satan will pave a four-lane highway to make that as smooth as possible. But Christ has taken Satan captive. Christ has shown that he uses the tools in Satan's toolbox to accomplish the work that he wants to do in us. Christ has made our enemy his own worst enemy. He has turned that great adversary into an unwilling and unknowing ally. Finally, for example, take death. It's another problem with life as the world likes to live it. It might seem fun trying to have all of the enjoyment and entertainment you can and pile up as much wealth and possessions as you can, but then it all comes to an end and pretty quickly at that. And if we were to fast forward even just a hundred years, a fraction of time in all of human history, your great-great-great-grandchildren probably won't even know your name. They certainly won't know the grades that you got in school which boy or which girl liked you, who you went to the dance with, or how many points you scored for your team. Death will have erased it all. But Christ has taken death captive. He has taken that immovable brick wall that no person can get past and he has turned it into a gate that opens up to the life that we were always meant to live. Christ has digged a grave for the grave he has executed our executioner. And all of that when he ascended into heaven. When he went up into heaven, he did not go alone. He took captivity with him. Life with Christ, friends, cannot be limited. It cannot be hemmed in. It cannot be stalled or slowed down or stopped. As long as Christ is seated on his throne, captivity remains captive. If he doesn't budge, you have no reason to be bored. In fact, we might even think about Christ 
sitting there up on his throne, almost like a statue. I mean, for one thing, he hasn't moved in a long, long time. 2,000 years he's been sitting statue still at the right hand of God. But for another thing, his location signifies something. It's a, a monument, something that we're supposed to see and learn a lesson from. Oh yeah, Christ ascended into heaven. All of human history is about him. Captivity remains captive. And yet there's a problem with monuments. At the risk of stating the obvious, monuments don't do much. They don't move a whole lot. They just sit there. Meanwhile, you and I like to move. In fact, we move on very quickly. And when we move on from a monument, we can very easily, just as easily, forget the lesson that that monument was meant to teach. And so, yes, every now and then we think about Jesus ascending into heaven. In fact, every week we come to church, we mention it. It's in the creeds that we use every time we come to church. Jesus has ascended into heaven. But then it's so easy to just move on, to get on with life and forget the lesson that that ascension teaches us. Which is why the Apostle Paul has more to us to say, more to say to us about what Jesus is doing from heaven. He says, It was he, it was Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, yes, Christ sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time he hasn't moved an inch. But that doesn't mean, friends, that he hasn't been doing nothing. He has been busy, very busy, in fact, giving you gifts. Paul mentions apostles and prophets. You've never met an apostle or a prophet in person, at least, but you know them very well from their writings, from the words that God the Holy Spirit used them to record in his word. And that word, Paul says, is a gift to you. Paul mentions evangelists. An evangelist is someone who takes the good news of the Bible and brings it to someone new, brings it to someone for the very first time for confirmands, for you, your very first evangelist was probably your mom and or your dad as they brought you to the waters of baptism to be washed clean and welcomed into God's family as they shared with you the simple message of God's love. Those evangelists, Paul says, were Christ's gift to you. Finally, Paul mentions pastors and teachers. You know some pastors and teachers too, don't you? Pastors and teachers take those words of the apostles and the prophets, and they help you grow in them. They take that simple message of good news that some evangelist shared with you and they expand it. Pastors and teachers help you discern between the truth about God and the million lies about God that are in the air that we breathe. And those pastors and teachers, those two, are gifts from Christ to you. All of those different gifts, and they all have the same goal. Paul says the goal of Christ giving you those gifts was to equip you, to make you ready. This time of year, as young people graduate from elementary school or high school or college, or as four young people get confirmed, it's very natural for us to sort of look ahead and, and speculate, what is life going to be like? What does the future 
hold for these young people with all of this potential. And I sure am excited to see what God has in store for each of the four of you. Two things I know. One is that no matter what it is, with Christ, it will be an adventure. Number two, whatever it might be, I know that Christ has given to you everything that you need to be ready, to be equipped. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, so long as Christ is seated on his throne, so long as he doesn't budge, he will continue to give those gifts to you, to make you ready. If life with Christ were destined to be boring, you wouldn't need those gifts at all. You could treat this day like the end of something important, like a graduation, so to speak, where you could just be done now that you've accomplished this important event. But because Christ gives you a life that is an adventure, you will need those gifts each and every day of your lives. In fact, it's those gifts, that activity of Christ that makes Christ a monument that is more than just something we think about every now and then to learn an important lesson. Instead, him sitting at God's right hand makes him a, a monument of sorts that actually does something to us. It accomplishes something in our lives. It helps us, as Paul say, says, reach our goal, arrive at our destination, the very thing that Christ wants for us and for which we were made. In fact, Paul says that through these gifts, Christ equips, or Christ equips us to such a degree that we actually reach the same level as him. We go to the place where he has gone. Which kind of reminds me of a, a story I recently heard about another monument. In fact, it's probably our nation's most famous monument. It's the Statue of Liberty. You maybe have learned that the Statue of Liberty was a gift from the nation of France. They were the ones who designed it and built it and paid for it. But we, Americans, were responsible for building the pedestal that the Statue of Liberty stands on. Well, as they started to build it, pretty soon they ran out of money. And so they had to figure out what to do. And so the organizers of this effort came up with this bright idea that they would send a bunch of young people out into the streets of New York to go canvassing, to knock on people's doors, and to ask them for donations. To sweeten the deal a little bit, Joseph Pulitzer made a pledge that he would print in his newspaper the name of anyone who gave any sort of gift, no matter the size. Now, I'd be willing to bet that you don't know the name of a single one of those young people who knocked on all those doors or a single one of those people who gave gifts and whose names were printed in that paper, except for one. I know you know one. At the time, he was just 19 years old, not that much older than you, but as he grew up, he eventually came to hold a very important position in the state of New York. And then eventually he held a very important position in the United States, and eventually, he, he reached a level, we might say, that was sort of on par with that statue that he had been raising money for. Eventually, he himself became a monument. In fact, he's one of four faces that is set in stone at Mount Rushmore. His name is Teddy Roosevelt. I know that most of the time, statues aren't all that exciting. Monuments can seem very boring, certainly not as exciting as 24-7 tip of your finger, palm of your hand, attention-grabbing entertainment. And yet nothing can make our lives less boring. Nothing can make our lives more of an adventure than Christ sitting statue still at the right hand of God. 
if he doesn't budge, captivity remains captive. And if he doesn't budge, gifts will continue to be given to you. Gifts that help you reach your goal, reach your destination, reach the place where Christ has always wanted you to be and where all of us want you to be as well. With him in the place where he has gone. God grant it. Amen. Amen.